look around this morning, I once again see so many faces that we haven't had an opportunity to meet. My name is Doug Demend. I have the wonderful privilege of serving as the lead pastor of this church, and we're grateful that you are here today, and we want to welcome you. You are here on a very special day, because here at our church, missions is not something that we do. It's part of our DNA. Reaching out in the world. When you came into the, to the foyer, you recognized that we have a map of the world and little strings stretching from Grace Assembly all over the world where we have missionaries that right now are ministering the gospel that are there because you have supported them. And so we have our fingerprints stretched out across the world. And on a yearly basis, we have a missions emphasis week. Last week, I got to share with you the vision of our church and share with you some stories about what God is doing. Today, you are in for an incredible, incredible blessing. Our speaker today, Jay Reisner, and I had the opportunity to go to high school together. He was one grade ahead of me. We were also in the same youth group in Central Assembly. And so there comes this aspect. I look back at at, uh, our, our youth pastor at the time is now the executive director of World Missions, uh, and, and so we were blessed as, as young men to grow up under that ministry. And it's fascinating to me to see what God has done with the different ones that were a part of our youth ministry. So we know that God does something in the hearts of children and in the hearts of students that last with them for a lifetime. Jay Reisner is the executive director of KidsLink International. And you are going to hear some incredible stories of what God is accomplishing, as Pastor Julie already said, the $10,000 that we have, uh, are working to raise for BGMC is going to Kids Link Ministries. So uh, if you want to see Pastor Julie have to camp out for a night on the top of the church, um, then you're going to want to make sure that you can help us out with that and, and, uh, and everything that is there. But would you please join me in giving a wonderful, warm Grace Assembly welcome to Jay Reisner. Thank you, Dad. Oh, good morning. How many of you are here? Uh, Yeah, some of you are still wondering. Well, I've got to tell you, it is great to be back in New York. Uh, You may have speakers that come and just say, hey, it's great to be here. But I was born in Westfield, New York. Then my dad was pastoring in Buffalo, New York. And uh, then we moved to all places, Liverpool, New York. In fact, we lived just parallel to the main street in front of Wetzel, Wetzel Road Elementary, if it's still there, and lived over in that area. And uh, I have fond memories of New York, and it's great to to be back here with you. You know, you're going to get to know a little bit about me over the next 25 minutes. But I don't know much about the congregation. And I'm sure you're sitting around people that don't know much about you either. So I'll tell you what, just do this with me for a second. I'd like for all of you to stand. You're not going to move out of your seat. Just everybody stand up. And if what I say pertains to you, then you'll sit down and we'll all know something about you, okay? And so like if I say, sit down if you have purple eyes, you sit down and everyone will go, weird, okay? But we want to find out something about you. Here we go. Sit down if anyone has ever told you that you snore. 
Oh, we got a whole family affair. Look at this. Okay. Okay. My word. Sit down if you've got the same socks on you had on yesterday. Oh, I guess, yes, thank you for being honest. Okay, all right, sit down if you had to look and see if they were yesterday's. All right, sit down if you've ever taken a piece of chewed gum and put it underneath a table or a chair or you stuck, yeah, thank you. Oh, yes, yes. All right, sit down if you ever pulled one of those out and chewed it. <laughs> Oh, Julie, Pastor Julie, Pastor Julie, you know what? I think you're still chewing it too. All right, stand up if you plan on having a great morning. Yeah, good, good. All right, sit down if you should be on a diet. All right. Sit down if the person next to you should be on a diet. <laughs> oh. oh, a young lady just got hit. Okay, all right, I saw that. All right, sit down if you consider yourself good looking. All right, sit, sit down if someone around you just lied. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and sit down if you love the Lord this morning. Give yourselves a clap. That's great. Oh, my word. That was good. We got black eyes with some people going out. Uh, hey, if, if you're a kid and you are in elementary, let me see your hands. Elementary kids. Just raise them up really high. All right, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take time to do this. If you're elementary, I want you to come and sit down here for just a second. I'm, I'm only going to take it for just a second. My word, isn't this great? Just sit down right there. No, 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 no. I want you sitting on the floor looking at me. On the floor, there you go. All right. Good job. Tomorrow you learn colors. Okay, that's good. Well, you know what? I love kids. For uh, 42 years, I've worked with kids, and I just want to take a second with them. Good morning, you guys. It's great to see your, let me see your teeth. No, put them back in. Put them back in. There you go. You know, let, hey, guys, let me ask you something. How many of you know that God loves you? You know that? How many of you think God loves every kid in this church? Well, he loves you too, okay. How many of you think he loves every kid in New York? United States, Africa, Asia, Europe. How many of you think he loves kids all around the world? He really does. And, and you know what, big kids, you can listen to. You know what? I am so glad that God doesn't treat kids like lollipops. Do you guys like lollipops? Big kids, do you like lollipops? Yeah, everybody's got a favorite flavor. Uh, 
But how many of you like uh, lemon? Okay. How about uh, apple? Okay. Uh, how about uh, root beer? Yep. Chocolate? All right. My favorite, bubble gum. And, and I've got to tell you, can you imagine if God treated kids like lollipops? If he came along and said, oh, I found my favorite kid. Yes, here he is. He's the lemon kid. He's my favorite. No, forget him. Forget him. No, no, no. I found the real kid I died for. It's the orange kid. Yes. No, no, forget him. Forget him. I, I love the grape kid. That's my favorite. No, no, forget that. My favorite, the apple kid. The apple of my eye. In fact, I think I'm going to keep that one. That's my favorite. But you know what? God doesn't treat kids like that. He doesn't treat people like that. In fact, young lady right there, could you come up here real quick? Right up here. What's your name? Ella. Ella. And how old are you, Ella? Six. Are you married? No. No, okay. <laughs> Ella, I want you to reach in here, and whatever one you pull out, that's God's favorite flavored kid, okay? So reach right in there. This is God's most favorite flavored. Ella, just one. This is God's. Ella, Ella, just, just one. This is God's. Ella, I need. No, put the other hand in there. Try. This is God's most favorite. Ella, I need one, okay? What's wrong? There. You know what, Ella? You are exactly right. You see, you couldn't pull out just one because God doesn't have just one favorite. He loves every single person and especially you. Give Ella a big hand as she goes back. All right, guys, you can go back to your seat. Thanks for coming. Give your kids a big hand. She said, how did you do that? I did that very well, thank you. Okay. You know, I, uh, I have a wife. Yay. We've been married 42 years, and we've got five kids. And they range from Tanya, Shauna, Clayton, JJ, and Sadie from 40 years old down to 22. And this is JJ and Sadie in our last prayer card picture. And uh, I, I want to tell you about one of our kids. We've got three girls, two boys, Clayton, who's 37, pastor in, or, or in uh, Oasis Church in Los Angeles. But when he was a year and a half old, he always stayed in his crib. But this night, about 1.30 in the morning, he came into our room, and my wife felt his head, and he was burning up. And so she gave him Tylenol, put him in bed with us, and I had just fallen back to sleep when I heard my wife scream, Oh, oh God, oh God, help, help. Jay, turn on the light. And when I turned on the light, 
Clayton had gone into a seizure. Now, I had never seen a seizure before. And his eyes were wide open. His eyes were rolled back into his head. He was shaking, convulsing. And I grabbed that body, and all of a sudden, it just went limp. And I said, Clayton, Clayton, no response. So we quickly put him in the car and sped to the hospital. And they took him, and they began to look at him and work on him. And the doctor came out and said, your son should be okay. He's had what we call a grandma seizure, probably because of the high temperature. He said, when we get it down, the temperature will give him back. And about 4 o'clock in the morning, they handed Clayton back to us. And we went outside and put him in this car seat. And as we had turned off a of Tennyson Road onto Highway 880 in Hayward, California, he went into a second seizure. And I rushed back, blowing the horn. They picked him up. They rushed him in. And Debbie and I, as young parents, we were scared to death. And the doctor came out and said, hey, he should be okay. And I said, Doc, how am I going to know when we get him home and we lay him in his crib and I walk in there and I see him laying there, how do I know that he's laying there peacefully or whether he's even alive? And the doctor just kind of grinned and said, let me tell you how you'll know. Well, a few years went by. Clayton had, did not have another seizure, but at the age of four and a half, he was in the house. Debbie and I were outside and we walked in and all of a sudden Clayton looked at us. His eyes rolled up into his head and he fell back on the carpet. And I ran over and grabbed that limp body and I said, Clayton, look at me. No response. Clayton, look at me. No response. And then I remembered what the doctor said. If I wanted to know whether he was alive, I reached down and I began to feel the main blood vessel on his neck. And when I did, I felt the fervent beat of the blood passing through his body. I put my hand in front of his nose and mouth and could feel the air coming in and out. And then I thought of something. I looked at that limp body, eyes open, rolled up. I said, Clayton, if you're playing a trick on daddy and mommy, you need to stop right now or you're in big trouble. And the eyes rolled down. A little grin came across his face. He looked at me and said, Daddy, I was only playing. You know, he is just like his mother. Just like her. But let me ask you, how did we know he was alive? It's a fact that when I reached out and I touched the blood, there was a fervent beat of blood passing through his body. His body was saying non-verbally, I'm alive, it's real, it's beating, it's fervent, it's good, it's beating. Do you realize today that there are people in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, in the United States, but right here in Syracuse that are walking around today saying, what can I touch that will give me life? What can I reach out and grab a hold of that won't be a high today and a low tomorrow? But what can I reach out that will change me? 
And I've got to tell you, being the children's ministry specialist international, I, I travel to 10 to 12 countries a year. And I see things that, that trouble me when I walk in, like in Thailand, into the, the mall, modern mall, but right in the middle are the golden statues where they go and they light their incense and they're praying to their God to go into Mongolia and to travel up the road and you see a statue with stones all around it and watching people stop, pick up a stone and throw it, believing that if they do that, the God of travel will take care of them. To be in Nairobi, Kenya, where we lived for eight and a half years and to get into a taxi and to see the little gods, the plastic gods that are that are glued to the dashboard, believing if they pray to one of these 117 gods, that the God will hear. But how many of you know that when you pray to something that's not real, it cannot answer? But can I tell you today, as we begin to sing and as we begin to worship God, we weren't worshiping a statue or a piece of wood, but we were worshiping a God that's alive today. A God that when you say, God, I need you. I can't do this. I need you today. He's a God that says, I am real. I am beating in your life. I'm there to never leave you, never forsake you. There's a saying that says, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But can I change it today to say that if you don't lead a horse to water, he may never have a chance to drink. Which is saying that we are here to bring people to Jesus Christ, to bring people to understand that he is a living God that can change their life forever. And God's called us to do that. There's a story in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Give you a little history. David has just got done, King David, of building a house for himself out of timber. And all of a sudden, he goes to Nathan the prophet and he says, you know what, I built my house out of timber, but, but God doesn't even have a home. There's no place for the Ark of the Covenant. And, and I want to build a temple. And Nathan says, hey, great, go do what's in your heart. But God comes to Nathan and says, no, that can't happen. Go and tell David this. And he goes to David and says, David, God says you cannot build the temple. But it will happen and it will happen through your seed. And all of a sudden, David King David, he could have got upset, he could have argued with God, but he accepted what God was saying. And at that point, his whole view of what was going to happen changed. Because he realized at that point, he had become a person that would be in a preparatory role. All of a sudden, he gathers up and realizes that he can touch the future by what he does that day. And start looking at what he did. He gathered up the stone cutters, the masons, the carpenters. Every time he would go out for a war and he would defeat the enemy and God gave him favor, he'd bring back the gold, the silver, the iron, the bronze. He was dedicating all of it to God. His eyes were on him. And then he sits 
and he draws out every single detail of the building of the temple. And when everything is ready, he turns over his kingdom to his son Solomon. And then he passes away. And Solomon continues. He builds the temple. And the glory of the Lord filled that place. But I want you to see what happened. David wasn't even there for the end result. But he had a heart to touch the future by what he did then. And folks, God is looking for people that will touch the future by what they do today. Every word you speak, every action you have, it affects the future. I just want to say with our words, the Bible says that our words have power to give life or to give death. The things we say to people, we say to kids, we are affecting the future for them by what we do today. Debbie and I have been involved in children's ministries for 42 years. Not by default, but by design. Because I honestly believe that I couldn't have any higher calling. I believe that when you change a child for Jesus, you can change a family. You change a family, you can change a community. You change a community, you can change the world. And reaching kids and giving them a chance to know Jesus when they're young saves them from years of scars. I sat in a church getting ready to preach and sitting to the right of me were 23 men from Teen Challenge. And I love Teen Challenge. I love what they do in men and women's lives. But one of the men came up and said, I want to tell you a story. He said, I never knew my father. And I got in a gang at the age of nine. And he said, at the age of 13, I killed my first person. He said, I was caught. I was convicted. And he said, at the age of 22, I got out of jail. But he said, I didn't know what to do. And he said, I got involved in drugs and alcohol, prostitution, and my life was ready to be done with. And I tried to commit suicide, and I failed. And he said, all of a sudden, someone introduced me to Teen Challenge. And it was there that the ambulance of Teen Challenge and the ambulance of Jesus Christ took my life, and I've been changed forever. And he said, I stand today as a 30-year-old to tell you, I love Jesus with all of my heart. And I love that testimony. But how much more do I love my testimony to tell you that at the age of four, I said, Jesus, come into my life. I've been a bad boy. And I gave my life in my, my language to Jesus at the age of four. And I lived for Him. And there are times that, that I stretched the boundaries but my life was there and He never left me. He never forsake me. He kept beating in my life. And I can tell you today, I stand as a missionary to tell you that I've served Him my entire life and He has never left me, forsaken me, and I love Him with all my heart. Do you know what that testimony is? You see, the other man, his testimony was falling off the cliff of life. And he almost died spiritually, emotionally, physically. But the ambulance of Jesus Christ and Teen Challenge changed him. 
But my story is this. I never fell off the cliff of life because I had parents. I had Sunday school teachers. I had people that put a hedge of protection around the top so I couldn't fall off in the first place. And that's why reaching kids are so important. And God began to deal with me and I knew that I wanted to go from the entertainment world where I would perform at Six Flags over Texas and Six Flags over Georgia, Six Flags over Mid-America. And I loved doing that, but I knew I wanted to share more than morals and values. And Debbie and I had a call in our life. And finally, in 1988, I took my first trip to South Africa. And when I walked in and I saw kids everywhere and I went into their school and I got to share the gospel and give an altar call, it changed my life. And Debbie and I said, we're going to go to Africa. And in July of 1990, we loaded up our three, because the other two kids weren't born yet, and we headed to Kenya as the director of children's ministries for East Africa. 17 countries. And everywhere we looked, there were kids. You realize in Africa, there's over 490 million children. And that is 50% of the population under the age of 15. And when we got there, everywhere we looked were kids. I would go to a church and I'd see the kids running around outside because there was no place for them to meet. And I thought, God, you've got to open the door. And then all of a sudden, I was invited to a school. And I began to do school assemblies. And well, instead of talking about it, let me show you Badee Elementary School. This is a picture, up close picture of kids at a school. Each one of them are in uniform. Each one of them has to wear a uniform. They not, may not even have money for shoes, but they've got to be in uniform. And by the way, education is free now. So every religion shows up and the schools are packed. This is an up-close picture. Let me show you the far-away picture. Standing there in the schools, in their courtyard, whether they can sit down or stand, those kids come, they're waiting. Because I tell you what, those kids, they can smell love. Your kids can smell love. And to be able to go into a school. Go ahead, Jeff. Going into a school and being able to share the gospel through music, illusion, through story, but through God's word. And at the end, asking kids to raise their hand to give their life to Jesus Christ. It's so important. And we thought, God, not only in the schools, but even going out into the neighborhoods would be important. But I've got to tell you, before I ever got to Africa to do that, I had to share a vision with the churches. I had to share as we were itinerating, and I'll never forget going into Capital Christian Center, a large church, and sharing what we wanted to do when we got to Africa. Had never been there, but I knew what I wanted to do. And I shared how we wanted to be able to gather up kids. And one way was to take gorilla costumes animal costumes, put them in the pickup truck and drive through the villages because I believed they would come. And one man said to me, he called me up four weeks before we were closing our container. 
And he said, do you still need gorilla costumes? I said, yes, I do. He said, I'm going to send you a box. He lied. A week later, 23 boxes came. 46 gorilla costumes, yellow, purple, green, orange. And we loaded them into the container. And it was a week later that I, I went to another church in San Jose, Bethel, San Jose. I shared about not only reaching the kids that way, but because television had been a part of my past. I talked about how great it would be to be able to do a television show that would reach into homes of Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, of anybody that has a television. And after service, a man walked up and said, I feel like I want to help you get your personal camera and editing equipment so you can start working on things now. How much will it cost? Well, to be honest, I hadn't looked at the cost. I didn't know whether to say 10000 15000 1000 And so I just said what came in my mind, it would cost $5,000. And he looked at me and said, wow, come with me. And I walked over and his wife was sitting down like in the second row. Most people had already left from church. He said, my wife and I were sitting there and God touched our heart and spoke to her about an amount to give you and spoke to me about an amount to give you. And she, he said, when we unfolded the papers, we had the same amount. You said five. You said $5,000. Honey, show them your paper. And it said $5,000. And I thought, oh God, thank you, I didn't get greedy. <laughs> And so I went out and bought that camera and the editing equipment and we loaded it in the container. And now you fast forward to what I just showed you of all the kids and they're standing around and, and taking those gorilla costumes and putting them in the back of a pickup truck. And we would begin to drive through different places. One of the places in Kisumu, Kenya, across the street from the Bible College, is a squatter's village. Over 75,000 people living in a square quarter mile. Mud huts with tin roofs with the sewage running down between. But I didn't care. We put those gorillas in that pickup truck. We began to drive through and with a speaker saying, Watoto, Watoto, Keribuni, Kwakanisa, children, you are welcome to come to the church, to the tent. And they began to file across to that, that Bible college auditorium that had been removed of all seats so we could get all the kids in there, over 5,000 kids. And it was there that over 4,000 kids gave their life to Jesus Christ. We went across the street to the Bible college the next day and did another crusade and another crusade. And then on Sunday, we started the children's church. But I tell you what, God began to open the doors. In fact, at one of the schools, there were Muslim kids, Hindu, Sikh kids. And I want to tell you a story of the Muslim girl 
They're standing in front of me, and I'm talking about trust. I'm using all methods to share. I get to the very end of that school and say, how many of you kids want to give Jesus Christ a chance in your life? If you do, look at me and just raise your hand. And the Muslim kids that were standing there had their arms crossed. Two of them looked at each other and shook their head no and looked at me and shook their head no. And they looked at the other girl standing next to them. And she looked at them, dropped her hands. And that Muslim girl bowed her head and gave her life to Jesus Christ. I didn't realize till later that my wife was videotaping this whole thing. But when that girl got home, in fact, it was three days later that I saw the principal at Bahati, or at Buddha Buddha Assembly of God Church. And I, he said, oh, that was so cool. 3,000 kids, over 2,000 kids got saved. And I said, what happened to Patma, the, the Muslim girl that gave her life to the Lord? He said, oh, Jay, she got home and she got beat up profusely. The parents beat her and then said, you will denounce what you have just done or we will beat you until you die. I've got to tell you that I went back to that school a couple years ago. And when I went in and did the program, God moved, it was a great program. And the headmaster, I said, hey, whatever happened to Patma? He said, oh, she was sitting in the back. Let me go and get her. And when Patma came running in, she saw me and I said, Patma. And she put her arms around me. And I said, how are you? And with a smile, she said, I'm still living for Jesus. I said, how, how do you get fed? How do you get discipled? She said, oh, I come to the school every Sunday afternoon for a sports clinic. <laughs> and she said, I learned about football, soccer, but I learned so much more about Jesus. And I thought, God, thank you. But I stepped away from there knowing what God was doing, the doors that he was opening. And one of the things that hit my heart was, how can we reach the Muslims, the Sikhs, the Hindus, people of other religion, people of no religion? How can we get to them? I can't go into their mosques. I can't go into the temples. But I knew that God had laid television on my heart. When Muslim kids get saved and they say, I can't tell my family, something could happen. God laid on my heart television. So I went to KBC, Kenya Broadcasting Corporation. I asked for a meeting. I got the second man in charge who was a Muslim. I said, I'd like to do a television program. And I laid out all the stuff that I'd done in my years of, of performing. He said, I'm not interesting, interested. I said, but then how much for me to buy airtime. He said, $5,000 a show. I said, I'm not interested. And I stepped away. I said, God, you've got to open the door. 
I walk into the textbook center at the Sarit Center shopping area. And a Hindu man comes up and greets me and speaks impeccable English. And we begin to talk and I go back and see him again. And a little bit later, we, we ended up having lunch. And I said, you speak impeccable English. Where'd you learn to speak English? He said, oh, I studied in America, university, in a place called St. Louis, Missouri. Have you heard of St. Louis, Missouri? I said, yes, I used to perform at Six Flags. I met my wife there. He said, I went to Six Flags. What did you do? Well, I did a one-man variety show of illusion, of story, high moral value. He said, whoa, was it down in the kids' area? Long green benches sat about a thousand people. I said, yes. He said, you were called the people mover. He said, you wore white shirt with zigzag, red pants with big zigzags, big bell bottoms. I said, yeah, that was me. He said, I saw your show and I thought, what a small world. He calls me up a few weeks later. He says, my relatives own almost all the shops in the street center. And on the bottom floor is an open area that we do concerts. Would you come and do a Six Flags type show so everyone will come? I said, yes, but I'm going to talk about Jesus. He's the reason for this season. He said, you talk about your Jesus. They buy things out of our shops. We'll both be happy. <laughs> so for seven days, seven shows, seven days. And I would have Asian men coming up afterwards, and they would hand me their business card and say, could you do a birthday party? <laughs> and I would do the birthday parties. But I had an African man walk up with his two girls and say, Mr. J, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Please give me a call. And when I looked at the card later, it was Mr. Anabwani, the head deputy for the Kenya Broadcasting Corporation. He was the number one man in charge. I called him. He said, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. He said, look, is it possible for you to put together a television program that we could air every single week that talks about the promises of God? He said, I know you're a Christian, and so am I. He said, could you do this? I said, well, let me think about it. Yes, we can. <laughs> and I want you to know that that was the beginning of Rainbow Surprise, a bright-colored, fast-moving, formatted TV show that talked about the promises of God. And I took that editing equipment, and I took my camera, and I put together uh, uh, just a... Uh, a trailer of what we could do and when he saw it he called me and said the directors love it let's start as soon as you can and that was the beginning of Rainbow Surprise a bright colored fast moving formatted TV show that talks about the promises of God and I've got to tell you what started in 93 you can go to the next one Jeff what started in 93 became the number one show in the country of Kenya they did a survey of a hundred thousand people saying what is the best show and they thought it would be an adult show we got 86,000 of those hundred thousand votes and God began to open doors we began to get letters from Sikhs from Hindus from Muslims 
And can I tell you, up to last year, we were reaching 20 million a week with Rainbow Surprise. And getting letters from Muslims saying, I've accepted Jesus in the privacy of my home. God began to move. But I've got to tell you what's happened since then. It was just about a year ago that I called the superintendent of Kenya, Philip Katoto, and said, Philip, God wants to do something bigger. Because of COVID, I have schools in Indonesia. I have schools calling saying, can you send us material? We want to show our kids. And I said, we've got to go bigger. And he said, meet me March 3rd of 20. Meet me in Dallas at a conference. And I will tell you what we have found out. I said, go after the biggest network. And when I met him, he says, you need to sit down. He said, the biggest network in Kenya has sister stations, Citizens Network. And he said, when I called Citizens, the lady who was the director grew up watching you on Rainbow Surprise. And she said, oh, if they'll produce it, we will air it. In fact, I want to just show you a clip of the new show that we are just building the studio for and what you're helping us do called Starpoint Academy. I looked into the eyes of over 3,000 children in a school in Nairobi, Kenya. And in just a few minutes, I would give an altar call that would change their life forever. We saw over 2,000 kids give their life to Jesus Christ. And we saw this happen school after school. But then we began to say, God, how are we going to reach over 490 million kids with the gospel? And God gave us an answer. It was through television. And it was there that we began to produce a television program called Rainbow Surprise. I'm going to tell you the story of a little girl that grew up in the slums of Houston, Kenya. Because it was there in the large hut with other children gathered around the computer television that she began to learn how to walk with Jesus day after day. And you know, that was 25 years ago. But today, it's a new day, and we must find a new way with this new generation to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you like to go on an adventure with us to reach the children of the world? 
You see, right now, we have a contract to broadcast to over 100 million on the continent of Africa. And the door is also open for us to go into the Muslim country of Indonesia. We can't go on this journey alone. Would you go with us? You may think a, a space station and African people are going to watch that, but I've got to tell you, nowadays, media has gone into every country. They know about rocket ships. They know about things. What The biggest thing with kids right now is transportation, where you can step through and you can go to a country or you can go back in time. And it's so neat that with Starpoint Academy, we will have so many people involved in the show, but we will be able to go back into Jesus' time. We'll be able to do so much. But I think about the fact of us being able to reach four, I mean, a hundred million a week. And I look back at this. The man who said, I'm going to send you 46 gorilla costumes. The lady and husband who said, I'm going to buy you your first camera. The man who walked up to those two girls and said, I want you to do a TV show. Do you realize that they had a heart to touch the future by what they did that day? I've seen just under a half a million kids come to know Jesus Christ. But I think of the people that made a difference because of what they did that day affected the future. And this is what happened with David. David had a heart to touch the future by what he did. The second thing is that David had a heart of sacrifice. He didn't just talk about what he was going to do. In fact, he he's came, and after he had given all the gold and silver for the, the, the temple, he then says this in 1 Chronicles 29.3, Besides in my devotion to the temple of God, I now give my personal treasures of gold, silver for the temple. He gives everything that he had personally because he wanted to make a difference. And what is sacrifice? Sacrifice says this, Sacrifice is to forfeit one thing for another considered to be of greater value. And when we're willing, not just financially, but when we're willing to get up and to take time and sacrifice our sleep to pray, I wish I could tell you of time after time of being robbed in Kenya and having 15 men cutting the bars on our, our window and for the, the bolt cutter to break and to find out from a letter that a parent had no idea, but her nine-and-a-half-year-old boy came home and said, we got to pray for the rise nurse. Why? Because I was praying at school, and I saw bars, and they were behind the bars, and there were people trying to cut them to get in to kill them. And the minute they prayed, at 7 o'clock, Indianapolis time was the exact time the alarm on our house went off that we were being robbed. To think of a climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and getting altitude sickness. 
And them saying, he's throwing up blood, got to get him down tonight. But they couldn't go from 15,000 feet down to 9,000 at night. And somehow when they got me down and I laid unconscious for 24 hours, when I came to Greg Beggs and David Smith and the missionaries got me in the vehicle and we drove to Greg Beggs' home. And when we got out of the car, standing there was Greg's mother, a missionary, Mary Beggs. And as we got out, we all said, hey. And she said, which one of you almost died two nights ago? Greg said, why do you ask? I got ready for bed. She had her own disease that she was dealing with. She got in bed. She was tired, but God said, you got to pray. One of the missionaries is going to die. And she got out of bed at midnight and for seven and a half hours laid on her face and sobbed before God. God save his life. Which one of you almost died? And I said, Mary, it was me. And I think of the people, the kids, the people who have prayed and sacrificed to make a difference. You see, David had a heart to touch the future by what he did that day. He had a heart of sacrifice. And I've got to tell you, if you're going to make a difference, the third thing he had was a heart of action. He didn't just talk about it. He actually goes out and gets all the gold and silver. He brings it. And when the other leaders see it, they begin to rejoice and they go and get everything. And it says that people were full of joy because of what they saw. Because David was a person of action. And I've got to tell you today, we've got to be people of action. We can't just talk about things. I've got to tell you, that the mission field is Africa, it is Asia, it is Europe. But can I tell you that when you walk out your doors and you get outside, you are in the mission field? And I pray that when you are at work tomorrow, adults, and you see somebody with a strained look on their face because they've lost somebody because of COVID or their sickness or financial relationship, I don't know what it is. I pray that God gives you spiritual ears and eyes that you go over and say, hey, I see something's on your heart. I want you to know I'm praying for you. Young people, can I tell you, at your schools, you've got kids that are loners, that they're looking for life, and at home they don't have life, and they're ready to take death. And when you see a kid sitting by themselves because they're made fun of, because of the way they dress, the way they smell, the way they look, the way they talk, I challenge you to go and say, hey, you're sitting by yourself, come sit with me. What happens if your friends get upset? Then they're not true friends in the first place. Guys, we got to be willing to sacrifice. We got to be willing to sometimes even give it up. People we think are friends to go to be with the friends that really need friends. We got to be willing to sacrifice, but we've got to put it in action. I close with this. In 2006, we had come home off the field, and I was at a conference, or I should say a retreat, with the ministerial staff from Timberline Church. And as all 18 of us sat around a table, a man walked out, a lady to greet us. A black young lady walked up, and as she got close, I saw 
some markings on her face. And as she began to talk, my wife turned and said, she's from Kenya. She walked away and I walked up and I said, Jumbo, mama. She turned and said, oh, see Jumbo. Habariako. Oh, Mzuri Sana. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. She said, how do you know my language? I said, we lived in Kenya for eight and a half years. She said, what did you do? I said, I was a missionary. I worked with kids. In fact, when you were a kid, do you remember a show called Rainbow Surprise? And she went, oh, oh, Uncle Jay, Uncle Jay, that's you? And I said, yes. She said, I watched you on TV. I said, where did you live? She said, I lived in Kisumu, in a squatter's village across the street from the Bible school. She said, I was home after school and I, I heard on a, a speaker, Watoto, Watoto, Keribuni, Kwakanisa. She said, my mom grabbed me, we ran outside and I was scared to death because I saw a yellow gorilla. <laughs> and she said, but the gorilla was waving and you said, follow us to the church. She said, I want to cross the street and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And then I got my brothers and sisters and all my relatives and they came and then you started the children's church at the church and my mom and dad came over and they got saved. And she said it began to spread. And can I tell you today that my brother, she said, is the children's pastor in the slums of Kisumu. And I thought it all went back to a man that gave me some gorillas. To someone who said, I'm going to sacrifice. And can I tell you, people that have a heart to touch the future by what they do. The, the temple got built. The glory of the Lord filled it. And Solomon stood and he said, But the Lord said to my father David, Because it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well to have it in your heart. David never saw the end result. But he saw it from heaven. And someday when I get to heaven, God will probably say, Jay, thank you for what you did to reach the kids. But he's going to turn to you and he's going to turn to some of you kids and say, when you gave up your birthday money, when you reached out, you allowed missionaries to do their job and you went with them in spirit and what you gave. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, today you have a chance and I'm, I'm sorry for running over. But you know what? Eternity matters more than lunch. And you have a faith card sitting there. And kids, I'm going to tell you, teens, I challenge you to be a part of this. Today, when you give and when you make a, a faith promise, you're going to be changing the world for Jesus. And it says on here, faith promise giving. You know what faith promises? 
It's not saying, whatever I have in my wallet, that's what I'm going to give. You see, when you give to missions, you can give three ways. It's a three-layered cake. You've got the big section at the bottom, and then the next size, and the smallest one. Let me tell you what the smallest is. It's some of you that can say, hey, I've got some extra money, and I didn't know where I was going to put it. I'm going to give it to missions. And that's great. But then there's the next section where you say, you know what? I don't have extra money, but I'm going to change the way I live. Instead of buying three suits this year, I'm going to buy one. Instead of buying all these shoes, I'm going to change and I'm going to, I'm going to wear the same ones. It's changing the way you live. But there's some of you, you can't, you don't have extra money. You've changed the way you live. Then you come to the biggest part that all of us partake in. And it's when we say, I don't have anything, but by faith, I'm going to give. That's what a faith promises. It's not pastor calling you every week saying, hey, do you have the money? No, they're not going to call. But it's when you step out and you say, God, give me a vision. Give me a number. What do you want me to do? And when God gives it to you and you write it down, guess what? It's his problem. If God gave you that, God will supply. I had a kid sitting in a service. And he wrote down on a faith card, $1,500. And his parents laughed. And they said, how are you going to do that? He said, I don't know, but I know what God told me. And so they get home, and it was during that week, he came in and said, Dad, I got an idea. Let's go to garage sales. Let's ask people around the neighborhood for stuff that they'll let me sell in a garage sale. And as they went around and they actually went to a place, sitting to the side were old windows that had been taken out of the house. And the dad's boy said, can we sell those? And dad said, yeah, we can clean them up and sell them. When they got those windows and they began to take the paint off, they were antique windows. And they sold them for $2,000. And that little boy said, see, if God says something, he will do it. And I challenge you today to let God do a mighty work. Pastor, come on up. And I want to say this in closing. I know what it is to live by faith. I sat in a meeting. I was at a big church. And they said, how much can you believe for? And I wrote down $50,000 for BGMC. And God said, $100,000. And you know what I did? I turned it in for $50,000. And I decided to live on a billboard 50 feet in the air for 10 days, poured a potty up there, everything. And the day it was supposed to have the stuff down, the guy wrote, uh, called me and said, what goes up there? And I felt God say, if you don't do what I say, you're disobeying. I put 100,000 up there. And my pastor came knocking on the door the day it got there and he said, Jay, what's this doing up there with 100,000? It's the biggest billboard in Springfield across from James River. And he said, why did you do 100,000? You told me 50. I don't like being lucrative. I don't want to lose. 
Why did you do it? And I said, John, because God said to. And he went, okay, but you better have heard from God. I went up for 10 days. And when I came down, the newspaper was there, $105,000. And a month later, the end of December, $160,000 for BGMC. And it's all because I stepped out in faith. I challenge you today to step out in faith and let's change this world. Let's help with the TV program. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you will give us spiritual ears, spiritual eyes, and you will make a difference all around the world, God, so that all can hear any place, any price. Use us in Jesus' name.